Welcome back to another episode of the Health on 10 podcast with your hosts, Angie Stastny and myself, Alex Krenitz. Today's episode is going to be all about anti-nutrients. So anti-nutrients are basically found in different plants, legumes, vegetables. And what are they, Angie? They're a defense mechanism? Yeah, they're just something that protects the outer portion of the plant from like offenses in the environment from being consumed by animals and insects and us right but we consume them them anyway so uh, this is a big case for kind of carnivores and if if i if you look up the carnivore diet and why people think it's optimal it's because they'll say oh there's a lot of these anti-nutrients and fruits and vegetables that can cause problems with the the gut lining and the gut microbiome as a whole and they're not wrong but there are things that we can do to kind of get rid of those anti-nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, first you have to know where they're at, right? Like not, not everything has anti-nutrients in it. I mean, I guess to some extent they do. And what I would say is that it's really individualized as to whether or not you are going to have a reaction um, that, you know, these blanket statements, like there's a, there's a doctor that's written books about lectins and he's just obsessed with lectins and he blames everything on lectins. And, you know, that's just really kind of nonsense because there's probably not just one thing that everyone's going to react to the exact same way. Um, and I think it can be really complicated to figure out if these things are affecting you. So we can talk a little bit about like testing and like the way you may experience um, symptoms to, to show that you're, you're having some kind of reaction to it. Um, but the ones that I found are most common are gluten, phytates, right? Uh, tannins, mm-hmm. lectins, oxalates. I think those are the main ones, right? Yeah. So okay. as far as f- like phytates, phytic acid, those are going to be found mainly in legumes, uh, beans, nuts, seeds, things like that. And what these, what they do is that they actually limit the absorption of proteins and other minerals. So phytic acid limits absorption of things like calcium, zinc, magnesium, and copper. But it's also, what I found interesting though, is there's also some benefits to phy- phytates. So phytates actually help, it's been shown to help lower cholesterol and uh, reduce blood sugar spikes. I don't know if you found that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I don't really, it's kind of funny, that term anti-nutrient, because when I first found that term in a book written by a functional doctor years ago, um, and I had a group of students from NIU, you know, because I precept for their nutrition program, and, and I started talking to them about that term, and they just got really mad, and they were like, what, anti, you know, like that, is that really a thing, you know, and why is it called that? So I like the fact that you're bringing that up because um, we tend to, ki- like, kind of villainize different things pretty quickly mm-hmm. as a society, right? Like, this is bad and this is good. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, most natural things, unless it's poison, um, and probably even that, they 
found ways to use those things uh, medicinally or whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, so it's like we really have to be careful, and, and, and it's good to bring out some of these positive benefits that come along, you know, with, with these things and foods. And, you know, what I'm excited to talk about, too, is like how you can reduce the amount mm -hmm. that's in the food Right. Which we completely lost that art. Yeah. Many, many ways to go about that. Some definitely better than others. Yeah. But b before we get into that, let's talk about a couple of the other ones. You mentioned oxalates. Uh-huh. So oxalates are going to be found in things like uh, leafy greens. And I think I've said this before, but spinach is very high in oxalates. Arugula lower in oxalates. So I, I tend to go with the arugula because it's easier to digest doesn't have as many of these so-called anti-nutrients. But the oxalates, whenever you eat spinach, and I always get this when I eat raw spinach, I get that, it's almost this chalky, dry feeling in my mouth from just chewing spinach. And that's, that is the oxalates. Uh, but when you cook them, you don't get that at all. And we'll get more into this in a little bit, but it, the cooking process gets rid of the oxalates. Another one, Another thing that's high in oxalates is cacao, but you're not eating a lot of raw cacao. I do like cacao powder. That's going to be high in oxalates. Yeah, I love that. I, I guess I'm lucky I don't have kidney stones because yeah. I think I eat a very high oxalate diet. Probably, probably, just because <laughs> you're eating a lot of raw, raw fruits and vegetables. Another one I found interesting is tannins. I actually didn't – this is a new discovery for me. Okay. I knew about tannins. I knew – I actually knew the positive benefit of tannins because they are uh, antioxidant polyphenol. Right. So it's a, it's a healthy plant compound that helps get rid of free radicals in the body. That's what an antioxidant is. But it's also an anti-nutrient, which uh, stops the absorption of certain minerals. But again, it's an antioxidant, so you're getting these anti-cancer benefits. Right. Yeah, and, and so there's a, a good case in point where something can have, you know, both super powerful benefits and then yet you need to be aware that we don't get into our compulsive side and just start pounding our body with the same food over and over again. Right. Right? Yeah. And like for me, I cannot, like tea is one of the biggest, and I just don't do well with tea. What do you notice when you drink tea? Um, my stomach. And it, uh, it just bothers my stomach. And also I can, and definitely green tea, it just makes me crazy. Really? Like the matcha tea? Yeah. I just, it makes my system just go, and I feel like I'm on speed or something. Really? I just like, can't. As it's far so as weird. your digestion and then even your yeah. energy? My energy. Wow. It feels like I just took an upper or something. I don't know. I That's just fast. can't. Well, there is caffeine, but it's not. It's not. It's that not that much. much but even if I did like an eighth of a teaspoon in a smoothie, I'll just be like wired. Yeah. Like crazy wired. And that's what's so fascinating about different compounds and how they affect everybody differently. It's all dose dependent. It, it, yeah. Everybody's so different when it comes to that stuff. And I, I have had a lot of clients that, you know, they have GI issues. They have irritable bowel or whatever, and so they'll try to drink like turmeric tea or or something like this, and then they're like. Oh, I just can't, I can't do it. You know, like, so, mm -hmm. you know, I tell them, you know, it's like tea's not for you right now, Yeah. you know? So 
I do see that a lot with people that have different digestive problems, um, trying to identify some of these things. Yeah, and uh, so tannins, you're gonna find those a lot, and like Andrew was saying, tea, coffee. I'm sure if you've ever heard tannins, it's probably been in the in the um, same sentences, like thinking about coffee or even wine. Mm-hmm. Wine's gonna be high in so those leptins, tannins. And those are the antioxidants you know, that are, are, all that are good bugs, for you, but right? in, in like high there's doses. Books on it, and it's a really uh, can't big have a harmful deal. And there's diets, and there's all kinds of supplements now that help you break down lectins. Um, and then they really are found in almost every food, but predominantly in legumes and in seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're not going to get away from that, right? Like, if, so it's, um, it's something that, you know, I think that you can't just eliminate completely from your diet, but you know, if you do feel like that could be a trigger, uh, there are there are like digestive enzymes that can help break down lectins yeah. in your food, and there's also uh, a new type of testing that's called Zoomer testing, and they, so you can test for um, all different types of like food sensitivities, and it's superior to. Um, you, you know, these food sensitivity tests that... Everly well, different yes, things like that. like yeah. those kind of things. Uh, because it actually looks in your blood and it looks at the peptides, which is kind of like a, a further breakdown from a protein. And so it can actually more specifically show you what your... It measures the way your immune system is reacting. To the lectins. And that's what you want to know. Does, so, does that change on a on a day to day basis, or does that kind of set in stone? Because I know like our guts always changing, our gut microbiome's always changing. So, it's sometimes throughout the year. Could you be have less of a response to lectins? Yes. Yeah. Because also there's something called cross reactivity. So. If you have environmental allergies, like let's say you're allergic to tree pollen or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, at that time of the year, you may be more reactive to like tomatoes. And, you know, I have this whole chart that I can give people and it'll show them like when these, these, you know, things are elevated in the environment and you already know you're sensitive to it, you've had testing, these foods may be more of a trigger. So it's very interesting because your immune system is already primed, like it's up. And it's reacting to something else. So these foods have similar biological profiles, let's say. Yeah. And so that's why that's something that I try to point out to anyone that I work with that has environmental allergies. Because it can be confusing if you eat an apple in the summer and you react to it and in the winter you don't. And I, I think it takes someone that is very self-aware of their body. Yes. People aren't really understanding, you know, their digestion that closely. They're not they're not taking that deep of a look. Like, oh, it was the apple that really affected me. You know what I mean? So people aren't that aware. Yeah, and that's like my whole job. Is yeah. like, you know, is you know what I mean, really honestly to like strip it down and and really start digging in, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, as to what what's triggering what. You know, so you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And a lot of dietitians use elimination diets. 
And I think those are super hard, super hard. Yeah. I really have never used that. I don't, I think that I would be asking way too much out of a person. And that's where I like the testing because some of this new testing is just so cutting Pretty edge, reliable. really reliable. And because you're actually studying the immune system and the way you, you're measuring things in your immune system. Do you think that is the best option without the testing as an elimination diet? Now it's very difficult for someone to follow, but do you think that would be the best way if someone was willing to? Yeah. If they're willing to do it, um, then do it with someone who knows what they're doing. Don't try to do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, when you're reacting to something, the symptoms are not what you think. They could be anxiety. They could be heart palpitations. Yeah. They could be headaches. And they could be all kinds of things that you never, ever would associate. The other thing to know is it can take up to 72 hours to have a reaction. So it's not what, and you're blaming on what you ate for lunch, but it's really the thing you ate three days ago. Yeah. That's so that's where it gets super tricky. So if we're looking at these things like lectins that you're, let's face it, we're not going to get away from. And I don't think you should. No, I don't either. you'd have to eliminate plants in general. Like you'd have to just go on the carnivore diet. How do we reduce lectins, phytic acid, oxalates in food while retaining the most nutrient value in the plant? And it's so funny because if you talk to anybody's grandma, they already can answer the question, right? And when I started, so the main ways are like sprouting, right? Soaking, fermenting. And um, what else? Am I missing well, anything? Well, uh, any really heat to the vet, like boiling or cooking, is going yeah, to boiling. eliminate a lot of the uh, the oxalates and, and phytic acid and lectins. In fact, one thing I notice with clients is, especially if most clients that come to me, they have a pretty westernized, sad diet, right? standardized American diet, and I, I want them to start eating more vegetables. Well, some of them either listen to me, and but they go too overboard with it. Uh -huh. Causes a lot of like gas, bloating, just digestive <laughs> problems naturally. I mean, you're adding all this fiber, and then on top of the fiber, you're getting all these, you know, different anti nutrients. If you're eating a lot of raw vegetables, mm -hmm. which that's what they'll go for is raw vegetables, raw carrots, celery, even broccoli sometimes, depending on the client. It's just easier. They don't have to roast it. They don't have to cook it. Uh, and if, but if they can, if they can start with just cooking the vegetables, you eliminate a lot of the things that are going to cause that, uh, digestion, uh, digestive problems, gastrointestinal issues. So cooking a big one. However, what I dislike about cooking and why I don't think it's the best option for getting, for getting rid of the anti-nutrients is it also eliminates a good amount of the uh, regular nutrients, the minerals, the vitamins. This doesn't mean you shouldn't cook your, your vegetables, like still cook them. If that's how you enjoy them, it's ridiculous to just eat raw vegetables or what, what I'm going to say is fermented vegetables all the time, which I think is probably the best way. I think so too. I think that that's the gold standard from yeah. Fermentation. Cause not only are you preserving all the nutrients, getting rid of the anti-nutrients, but you're also gaining a lot more of the good bacteria that you're getting from 
the fermentation process. Yeah, and like you were saying, the, the nutrients are more bioavailable. Mm, you're right. And yeah. you're strengthening your gut microbiome. Yeah. So I find that I've tried a lot of different things, and I think that if I had the time, I would do it all the time, and I would ferment a lot of vegetables. And I wish I could, having the garden this year, you know, find time to really do more of that. Um, so that's a, that's kind of a goal of mine. There are people out there that do it that, you know, I've seen it at like Heritage Prairie Farm. There was a woman who was selling, you know, fermented vegetables. What different, like besides sauerkraut, besides pickles, tomatoes, like tomatoes, uh, you can do yeah. anything. Yeah. You, you Green can. bean. I mean, you can almost literally, I was trying to think, I got this book on, on fermenting and they had, they, there was one one thing they said you absolutely can't do, and I can't remember what it is right now, but pretty much other than that, you can do whatever you want. But I think sprouting is a big one, too. Sprouting's that's, really that's good as well. That's really simple to do. And I've, I've done, I've sprouted, like, seeds, like broccoli, yeah. alfalfa, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, sprouts are incredible for you. Yes. Especially broccoli sprouts. Yes, I used I was doing that all the time, and you can make like a huge jar of them, yeah. and all you have to do is I got these little like screens to go on the top of my mason jars, yeah, and put just a small amount of the seeds on the bottom, fill it with water, let them soak for twelve hours, and then dump it three four days, dump it and keep doing that every twelve hours, rinse it really well. And the reason for that is because bacteria can grow. Right. So that's where you really want to do it yourself or get a local farm yeah. to do it because that's why you don't see that in the store anymore because they had so many foodborne outbreaks. Salmonella, I think, was a big yeah. one with that. So that's my husband is addicted to alfalfa sprouts. Yeah. And he and I love the broccoli sprouts, so we were doing that all the time. And put it in a smoothie, put it on your salads. Oh, I think on a on a really good like sandwich yes oh. in a in a wrap yeah super delicious like you said yeah I, something about it and, and it's not it's not like it's really super palatable but i think we've just designed our our, our taste to really like that earthy flavor you know because you it's very earthy yeah if you wanna so there's mixes you can get you know that have like radish and you know different yeah. things in it so that one might be a good place to start, but I think the easiest one is alfalfa. Alfalfa is probably because the, it's the mildest. It's mild, yeah. Broccoli's got a. I, I like broccoli, but broccoli is the that's supposed to be one of the, the most best powerful because it's super high in sulforaphane. Yeah, and I would think the radish one would be also. It's in the same family. Uh, you know, I I'm sure I'm sure it's got it's cruciferous vegetable. Yeah. Is it? Is yeah. It? Okay. So, yeah, I'm sure it is. You just hear it's all the hypes with the broccoli sprouts. Yeah. That's all you hear is like yeah. sprouts, broccoli. And and it's something that I think most people would be able to tolerate. I yeah. don't think it's going to bother you the way, you know, broccoli does to some people. So I think if you are bothered by broccoli, that might be a good thing to try. And like you said, I am obsessed with sulfur and, you know, because of the fact that it's so important for can every disease process so methylation and sulfur sulfation processes in the body are really what keep you alive like 
and prevent diseases. So if those are not functioning and you're not supporting that well, you are putting yourself up for a lot of risk for disease. So when people tell me they can't tolerate garlic, I'm like, you need to sit down and work with me because you don't, you need those nutrients and we have to find a way to get those in. And you, you can get somebody to a place where they can eventually start to tolerate those yes. things. Yeah, I've had people goal. that totally couldn't and then, you know, they make, might get down to like one or two things that bother them, but they can get enough in to where, you know, that they're, they're good. They're getting an adequate amount into their diet. So when we look at different foods that are high in these anti-nutrients, what always comes up is legumes. Legumes, seeds, nuts. So legumes would be things like beans, chickpeas, even peanuts are legumes, really. How, what is the best way, because you're probably not going to ferment beans. Can you ferment beans? Yeah, I guess you can. Soybeans, that's NATO. Natto, yeah, you can. I can't say I've tried it, but. But I, I typically eat a lot of, if I'm going to eat beans, I go for the beans in the can, which probably not the best option, but it's very convenient because the best way to make beans is a, is a process and yeah. getting rid of those new, those anti-nutrients. It takes time. Yeah. I usually soak them and I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put them in the water. I'll turn, turn on the, the stove and just bring it, not just get it hot and then turn it off and then leave it. And then I'll rinse it after a couple hours and then put new water and, and leave it overnight. And then I why, cook it. Why do you warm up the water initially? That was the way I was always taught as the best way to like really release, hmm. you know, and get it going. Yeah. And, and just to get, you know, and that's like an old fashioned thing. Yeah. That like, you know, I learned from not my own grandma, but somebody's grandma. And if the Hispanic, so I asked this girl at work because they're always making their own beans. And she's like, yeah, that's how we do it. Oh, well, then they know it. Yeah. You know, and so that that just confirmed what I learned that. And then, you know, so if you really look it up, that's usually a lot of times the way that you'll see. Some people will just put it in water and they don't they don't heat it. Um, But for my understanding, that's a a little bit more effective. So I have a question. I'm not I'm not sure if you have the answer for this because I didn't look too much into this. Why does soaking get rid of the anti-nutrients in beans? I think, exactly? I think it's just breaking down that outer shell. Okay. And so, you know, th- that's the whole premise behind all of this is that it's the outer shell. And, um, and so if it's a protective mechanism, w- when, when the seed or whatever you're doing or the sprout when it when it germinates mm, yeah. then it lets go of that protection because yeah. now it needs to grow whereas when it was a seed it was looking to survive till it would become yeah. a sprout if that makes sense yeah. so that's where all of this type of mechanism is put in place by nature to bring it back around angie tell us some of this let's talk about some of the side effects and some things you'd be noticing if you're having some of these food sensitivities into what different plants because maybe if you eat you know carrots you're fine or if you're eating legumes you're fine but if you're eating nuts that you're really you're really seeing a, a, an issue and I, 
one thing I would see the most is for me is, is a problem with my digestion, my gut gas bloating, especially if I'm revisiting these things after kind of not eating them for a while. And I'll, I'll notice like, Oh my God, I feel like a gas bubble. Right. Yeah. I think joint pain, headaches, poor concentration, like inability to concentrate, um, uh, tendonitis is a big one. People don't realize and they think, oh, I just worked out too hard and, you know, this still hurts. But anything, it's, you know, you think about systemic inflammation, right? Like it's getting into your bloodstream. It's reacting with your immune system and your immune system starts spewing out all these chemicals to try to like more or less kill it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, any if you think of anything, even um, like blood sugar irregularities too, you know, if you're a person that you, maybe you get these lows or you get, this is one thing I've, I've learned that people experience a lot and they don't correlate it. You eat something and you get super thirsty. Like usually you might get that if you ate like a donut or something really sugary, mm -hmm. but that kind of shows you that that's creating inflammation and it's, you know, it's using up like all the water. And, and so, um, that's one thing that I think people wouldn't think of, but you know, if they're like super thirsty, um, those are some of the main ones. There's like a million different things. Yeah. And say you're eating a really healthy balanced diet, like a great diet you have digestive problems, say you're really constipated, that's probably not a healthy diet for you, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And that's what you see happening a lot, especially with the vegan diet. They're really excited because they're eating super healthy and, and they still feel like garbage, you yeah. know, because they're not ready for it. And you they're know? taking laxatives to like help everything go down. And you they're think pushing it, they're pushing yeah, it. Right. And it's like, no, your body's designed for certain things. Yeah. And um, and sometimes it's just a matter of clearing up some, get your digestive system working first, then start adding things. Right. And for some people, it may be hard to do those elimination diets. So is there any tests that you would recommend at home tests? Do you, are, are any of these reliable? Cause I've heard like Everly well, not, you know, the greatest, I don't know. Is there any, is there any tests that you would recommend? as a dietitian? Yeah, there's GI map testing that you can get on your own. Um, but you, you know, you, you're going to, it's so detailed, like you're still going to need a practitioner to help you figure out what it all means. Yeah. Um, I'm trying, I don't, I think that's the only one that I can think of that I respect. You are going to be, but I'll be, you administer these tests. Yeah. So I can, I, that's something new I'm adding and I'm really excited about it. And we'll have to do an episode on that, oh, like all the different types of testing um, that I can do with my license that are just really for licensed practitioners. Um, but there's so much coming out that's making it so much more exciting. And, you know, so I guess my new, new motto is going to be test, don't guess, because in the past, that's what we've kind of had to do in a lot of areas. Um, when it comes to digestion and just immune related issues and hormone related issues, oh, you show signs of estrogen dominance or blah, blah, blah. But this is going to really give you the hard data. 
and it's it's all you know evidence-based peer-reviewed type stuff that you know a lot of these things have only been around for five years because it's that cutting edge it's brand new super exciting time and i would definitely i would definitely get in touch with angie if you're interested in getting some of these tests done because she'll be able to tell you you know everything the test reads you can get the test done on your own and i think that's a lot of people's problem is they'll get these tests done but they don't know what the heck they're looking at I mean, these are so complicated. I've, I've seen the reports and people will come to me and they're like, yeah, I've had people do that. Yeah. But usually I can give people a break on the pricing because, you know, you get, you know, practitioner base rates. And I, I, as someone who's dealt with a lot of health issues, I know how expensive it can be and that bothers me. And that's why I'm pretty excited to add this to my practice because I want people to be able to get answers to their health problems without like just totally breaking their bank. Yeah. And you know, I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars over, you know, the years and you may also be doing things and supplementing things you don't need to. Right. You know, I, I like supplements and I use them, but I really try to do natural food first type things. Mm -hmm. And I got to say like, you can get pretty far. Yeah. You don't have to bombard somebody with supplements. And that kind of amazes me because I used to kind of go to the supplements a little bit more. And now I just totally stay away from them for first couple months. And then if they need extra support, okay, fine. Yeah, there, the, there might be different times throughout your life. Like, okay, we need to add in some, I don't know, some, say, milk thistle. We need a little detoxify. A little, but there's a million things we could yeah. say here. But, yeah, and then you go in and out. You shouldn't always take most things you know? yeah i mean probably fish oil and a good multivitamin yeah. but creatine i think yeah creatine's doing wonders oh, for me let's talk how is your cre i mean you've been on this for three weeks creatine? Has, has it only been that short of a time i was feel, trying to figure it out do you feel any different yes do you, your strength is more do you have yeah and strength? like when i work out when i do my weightlifting, i feel way i'm i can do way more wow and I, I think it's really made a difference for me. Did you see the scale move up a little bit, a couple pounds? So I got, and I know you hate these scales, but I'm, they do work. So the one of the practitioners I work with, he has the really expensive in-body scale that's highly accurate, right? Yeah. And it's this scale costs like $3,000 or something. Sure, yeah, yeah. But it's like the cutting edge. Do you stand on it? Yes, you stand on it and you hold on to it's, these yeah, things. Yeah, the biometrical impedance. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's what it is. But it's like the cutting edge, most yes. studied one. You know, it's the most respected scale mm -hmm. out there. So um, I have my little cheap $20 one that I got on Amazon. And then I went into his office and did his. So his showed... A little my fat content was a little bit higher but it was my little home one is pretty good it yeah. it was pretty, pretty closely close. correlated yeah i mean it's biomed yeah okay it's so i've been kind of fighting inflammation you know what i mean and you know i told you i recently discovered that eggs were really bothering me and i just didn't correlate that yeah so i'm trying to eat more protein and i'm eating all these eggs and then i found out that it, i was kind of reacting to it so I wasn't building, like, I, even though I was doing my weight training, I wasn't really building muscle, according to my scale. Mm -hmm. So I got off of the eggs, started using the creatine, and um, 
my I for the first time now I am building muscle. Wow. My muscle mass is going up. That's awesome to hear because it's hard for me to talk because I've been taking it for so long. For yeah. somebody that's brand new to them and they're they're noticing that that's good. That's yeah. Reassuring. So I think that's it's I love the metrics and I think it's like you know, I don't want people obsessing and getting on a scale, but I think these bioimpedance scales are really a, an important tool that you can use yeah. to focus on, you know, right? Like we have to build muscle in order for our metabolism, which is our lifeline. Mm -hmm. Our metabolism isn't like cutting calories and it's the way our body generates energy that keeps our organs alive. Right. Yeah, and they're tools, right? So it's, yeah, I do like them for tools. Yeah. And I'm not against them. So like someone like me to actually see that, wow, eggs were creating inflammation in my body, and now that I eliminated that and I added something more supportive, I really see my muscle mass actually building. That's highly motivational. Oh, yeah. Right? Because someone like me that's really never, like, consistently weight trained and didn't really have, like, the guidance you know, you, you tend to like, oh, I'll just figure this out by myself and I'll just do a YouTube routine or something. Well, I don't know. I think you I, can. I, I just, you can. It'll take a long time. But yeah. And you know? it's like you might not be doing what's right for you, though, honestly. Yeah. You know, especially as you get older. Right. Well, yeah, it takes if you're going to go if anybody's going to go down that route of doing it themselves, it's going to take a lot of failures. Whereas, like, if you see a professional, you know, there's still going to be failures. We're not perfect. Like, everybody's different. So, but it's way, way bigger chance, way better chance of success at a way quicker, at a way quicker route. So. Yeah. And I, I love it. And I would recommend to anybody to get a personal trainer that has experience. Don't just go with any personal trainer. You know, really find someone that's specializes in, in maybe what you, you know, the types of things that for. you, yeah. you need help with. Right. Cause it can be different for every person. Yeah. Um, but for, yeah, do it, put, make the investment in yourself. And then, you know, if, if it's not a trigger for you, cause sometimes Wayne is, is a trigger for some people. Um, but if it's not, then maybe get, get a bioimpedance scale and see where you're at. And so can you tell us like what's a good body fat percentage for like Yeah, like a good body fat percentage for, for males, uh it's gonna be anywhere from we're talking healthy, like from eight percent, which is shredded, sliced sauce to the gills, I'll call it, to like twenty percentish. Okay. So if you know, if you get the scale in your male you want to be, you know, 20% or less. I'd like to see you lower than 20%. But like as a good first goal, yeah. you know, like if you're, so another trainer here that I work with, Penny, she told me that a lot of women are, are at least 40% and that's like way too high. But yeah. she said even thin, thin people that she uses the scale with, they're really high. Yeah. So it's not about you being overweight, but it's your body composition. Um, so women are supposed to be at 25%, right? Or less? Yeah. Tw 20 to 28, 20 to 30. Oh, 20, yeah. okay. So they 20. can be like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, women are going to hold more body fat, right? Because breast tissue and glutes. And they need it. Right. So yeah. that women are going to be much higher in fat. Yeah, man. I, 
I'd like to see under 20, 18 really, you know, depending on the person. Yeah. Um, But yeah, for for a female, around that 20 to, within 20 to 30. Yeah. So the way you build, the way you eliminate fat is by building muscle. Yeah. Well, it's it's going to help eliminate fat and it's going to help recomp your body. So like you said, if somebody's 140 pounds but they don't have any muscle on them and they're mm-hmm. say they're a woman, you're going to be a pretty high body fat percentage whether is than if you were 140 pounds and you had say 20 pounds of muscle on your frame or whatever it may be. You've added 10 more pounds of muscle, you're going to have what you're going to have such a lower body fat percentage and you're going to look way better. Yeah. And you're going to have more energy. Oh, yeah. And it's um, going to help you burn more calories. And actually, I, I had a client recently, and all we did was change her diet. She just wasn't eating enough, really, for her workouts. Mm-hmm. And she's younger. And she yeah. gained, like, three pounds of muscle. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. The metabolism adapts. And this is something that I kind of was so against. Not against, but I just thought differently on it because I'm, I was always taught – calories in calories out and i know we talk about this quite a bit but you know if you're only eating a thousand calories the body you will lose weight and then the body will adapt yes your body will get to a place where it's like all right i need a thousand calories to survive so my goal would be to like all right somebody comes to me and they're only eating a thousand calories they're not losing weight they're skinny fat like i would call it body composition's not there high body fat what i would do and you're a dietitian i'd probably send them to you Definitely. But if they were like, yeah, you just want to talk to me, like, let's, here's what I would do is I'd be like, okay, slowly let's up those calories, slowly start to eat more. If you just go from eating a thousand to 2000, you're going to see an increase in body fat. But if we can add exercise, if we can get to 1200 this next week, then two, three weeks, we can get you at 1400. You're probably going to gain a little bit of body fat as well, but you're going to add muscle. And then we can get you to a spot where you're eating 2500 calories. Don't like tracking, but in that area, 2,500 calories, that's a good amount of calories for a female. Yeah. That's a lot of calories. Yeah. And if you can maintain at that, eating that much energy, that much calories, then it's just so much easier to get you to lose weight because then I, then we can slowly like just bring you down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, you, I just wrote a whole ebook and it's on metabolism and all the things that affect your metabolism that have nothing to do with calorie counting and, mm-hmm. you know, just how that whole concept can really be actually uh, giving you the reverse of what you want, which is gaining more fat. Yeah. So um, I'm really excited about, you know, the scales and the availability of them and just kind of, you know, maybe using that little bit as a tool exactly to see how you're doing and, and then tweaking your diet from there. Yeah. So to circle back on anti-nutrients, I, I think it's important that, that we don't just eliminate all fresh vegetables because one thing is they are higher in nutrients like we talked about. So you don't have to completely eliminate them. But there are d- better ways if you're, if you're noticing that you're having some reactions, inflammation, digestion. There are better ways to prepare them, just like Angie was talking about fermentation. Now, you may not have the time to do that or you may not want to do that. You can buy things like sauerkraut, which is just going to be great for your gut anyways. But things like cooking is a little bit easier. 
uh, in any process is going to eliminate some of those anti-nutrients or uh, sprouting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be a pretty simple way. Okay, so I would say just to wrap it up, this can be very confusing. And if you're wondering, you know, what you're reacting to and you feel like you are reacting um, to some type of anti-nutrient and you're just not sure, you know, you could always scale it down and you could just, you know, kind of do a mini elimination. Um, or you can try some of these other techniques and, you know, try, try sprouting or something like that. There's products out there that are already sprouted. So there, I've seen oatmeal, I've seen the lentils, I've seen a lot of the grains. You could go for something like that to make it easy on yourself. Um, There's and, an abundance and, of those things nowadays. Really. Yeah, there really are. And I was like, is that real or what? You know, like part of me was skeptical. Like, yeah. so, but, you know, maybe that would be a good place to start. And you can just focus more on those types of things. Awesome. If you guys enjoy our Health on 10 podcast, Please share this with your friends or family, or if you know anybody that may may want to use this as a tool, please share it with them. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Health on 10 podcast. Keep your health on 10.